Welcome to another inspirational message from Gateway Life Church. We're so glad that you've joined us and trust that this podcast will be a blessing to you. Thank you, Graham Lauritsen. Thank you. You can be seated. How are you doing? So uh, let's just get the, uh, the elephant in the room out of the way. I am a Kiwi. <clears throat> so uh, people say, what rugby, what footy team do you support? Obviously the All Blacks. Any Kiwis here today? None. Oh, wow. So it's great. Let's just pray. Father, I, I pray today for your anointing on your word. Uh, Lord, we, we so long to, uh, to really understand revelation today, not just information, not just ideas and men's thoughts. We pray for something from the Holy Spirit that would just ignite your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I'll share a little bit of our story as we go today, and uh, I was a pastor in New Zealand for 25 years, and uh, in 2010, God spoke to us. Uh, we were pastoring in a place called Dunedin, New Zealand, right down the south, and if you think this is cold, it's freezing down there. And, uh, and God spoke to me one morning in my quiet time and just said, from now on, turn to the Gentiles. And uh, it was a really big thing for me because for 25 years I'd been pastoring churches and I was, I think, 48 at the time. So at 22 and a half, I, I became a full-time minister. So I didn't know much else. And uh, so to actually resign our church, we ended up moving here to Australia. Uh, I have a friend um, uh, called Danny Gugliamucci who, who kind of brought us over and we worked with him for a little while while we figured out what turning to the Gentiles actually means. And uh, so I am actually still ordained, funnily enough, but I'm no longer a pastor of a church, and, uh, but I am a pastor in the marketplace, which is where I think God's led me. So uh, in 2018, there was a Leonardo da Vinci exhibition in Paris, and a question was going around. Everyone was wondering, is this famous painting called Saviour of the World going to be shown? Uh, because only the year before, in 2017, this painting that had been lost by Leonardo da Vinci, had been found and restored and sold at auction. And this painting sold at auction in 2018, sorry, 2017 for 450 million US dollars. Must have been a pretty nice painting, right? 450, that is, that's almost 650 million Australian dollars. So, so it was all going, it didn't actually end up being shown. Uh, apparently it was bought at auction by uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. But $450 million, US dollars, yeah, obviously Saudi Arabia bought it, you know. Um, but how many would like to see what $450 million US dollars looks like? Here it is. It's coming. There it is. So uh, that's $450 million worth of art. And I guess my question to you this morning is, why is it worth so much? What, what do you reckon? Why, why is that painting worth $450 million US dollars? So, well, it's a painting of Jesus. Uh, well, you could go down to the local op shop and probably buy a painting of Jesus for $50. You probably could. How many remember that? Did you? Anybody else grow up with that painting of Jesus on the wall? Yeah, the brown one. And yeah. yeah, you can buy one for $50 at the op shop. The reason that this painting was worth $450 million was because 
Leonardo da Vinci painted it. And the reality is that the valuer of the creator was bestowed upon the value of the created. And here's my thought to you this morning. Now I'm going to kind of move around a little bit. I guess I've got to stay on the screen a bit, don't I? Your value is not determined by what others think of you. Your value is not even determined by who you think that you are. The value that is on your life has been bestowed upon you by the person who created you. And if Leonardo da Vinci can, can paint a painting, and the fact that his fingerprints were on it makes it worth $450 million, what does the fingerprints of the creator of the universe that created you make you worth? I think there's this thing on us today. I, I think that, that so often we, we, we live our lives with a self-esteem that's been determined by our experiences. In Psalm 139, verses 13 to 18, we're going to kind of stay around this passage today. Well, let me just press this thing on my watch. This is a, this is a stopwatch, if I can get it to work. Yeah, 30 minutes. My wrist is going to vibrate. So when you see me go like that, it's like, stop, get out of here. You say, hang on a minute, you started five minutes ago. Well, I'm sorry, I just didn't. You have to go an extra five minutes longer now. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. So I can tell you today that you are wonderfully, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I can tell you that God's work on your life is marvelous. Why don't you just turn to the person right next to you and say, you are marvelous. You allowed to do that here? Fearfully and wonderfully made. I can say that to you, right? I can say that's what the Bible says about you. Is that, is that true? The thing I can't do for you today is to convince you and to convince your soul to say, I know that very well. My soul knows very, very well. See, I grew up with a really amazing mum. She's still alive. She's about 86 Went over to New Zealand a few weeks ago to see her after three and a half years of not being able to travel. I have an amazing granddad. My granddad was awesome. I remember growing up, he would live with us, and, and I would sit on his knee, and he would tell me stories, and he'd call me sport. He'd lend me money, and when I tried to give it back to him, he said, don't cut yourself short, uh, sport, don't count, count. Anyway, I had an amazing granddad. I didn't have an amazing dad. I had a very difficult dad. I had an abusive dad. In fact, my dad was so abusive, he spent the last years of his life in prison. And I grew up with his echo in my mind. I grew up, the soundtrack of my life was very much as, you are useless, you're good for nothing, you'll never amount to anything. And that was literally the soundtrack of my mind. And if I was to be honest with you, before I came to Christ, the echo of those words had defined my identity to the point where I would say, I am useless, I am, I am good for nothing, I'll never amount to anything, and that my soul knows very well. 
I felt ordinary. I didn't think that I would ever write. In fact, I, I can honestly say that all through school, I was the C student. Just passed. Just got through. And that was very much the echo of his abuse upon my life. This is who I think that I am. But then I, I came to know Jesus. I, I, I got born again. And, and all of a sudden, I have a different father. I have a new heavenly father, and his words are echoing in my life, saying, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. You are marvelous. My works in you are awesome. You're a great guy. You're now a child of God. And if we have a look at the next, the, the next slide, I ended up with this, this uh, parallel echo and these parallel words in my life. And sometimes I'd go to church and I'd be all excited and I'd think, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous in your works, and that my soul knows very well. And then I'd go home and I'd go through some challenging times and I'd be thinking, man, I'm useless, I'm good for nothing, I'll never amount to anything, and that my soul knows very well. And I would be bouncing between this, I'm the man of God, I've been to the ministry quite soon after I got saved, probably around about four years. And I would bounce around this time where I would be the man of God, I'd be the preacher, I'd be, you know, going to change the world. And then I'd have these incredibly dark moments that I'm so useless and, and I'll never amount to anything. I'll never do anything great for God. And all my friends, you know, I got saved in a church. It was a large church in New Zealand and I was a youth pastor and I got together with a whole bunch of other youth pastors because the church was so large and my pastor's friends, you know, they all got together. So I would run camps and my camp speakers were Brian Houston and Pat Masidi and Danny Guglielmucci and Mel Fletch. I don't know if you know any of those names, but... But they all went off and done amazing things. And I went to Dunedin and planted a church and struggled. And, and, you know, for so many years, I was living in this parallel challenge, these voices in my world where I wanted to believe God's word for me. But the reality was the echo of my father's voice kept coming back. And, and to a large degree, I think I was, I was uh, looking for affirmation. And that made it really hard. I tell you, it makes it hard in relationships, eh? When, when you go to conferences and you're hanging out with people and you're, you're kind of hanging with that level of leader and you just want them to affirm you. It's not, it's not great. It's, it's, you know, you don't, you don't want to be that person. But does anybody in the room know a little bit of what I'm saying here today? Does anyone else struggle with this? Trying to, trying to believe, what is it that, that's going to permeate my soul? What is my soul going to be convinced about. And I began to just, I guess, figure out how do I, how do, I do this thing. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, do not be conformed to your father's worlds, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You've got to, you've got to learn how do I not be conformed to this world. David said in Psalm 119, your word have I hidden in my heart. How do I hide this word within me? How do I hide... God's word within me that I might not sin against you. And you know what? It's a sin to believe less of God's creation than God thinks. Psalm 45 verse 1, David writes, My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. So I want to I walk through today how over a period of probably 10 years, 10, 15 years, I transferred from... The world, the, the words of my father, my very abusive father, 
And, and you know, I tried to reconcile with him. Uh, I, I was, you know, some of these tough things. I was a witness for the prosecution at my father's court case. That, it wasn't pleasant. You can imagine the kind of abuse we got while he was being investigated when he found that I was prepared to testify on behalf of his victims. It was pretty tough. So how do I, how do I find that way across? How do I restore my self-esteem? Why don't we uh, just, you want to get this, this passage up, Psalm 139 again? Can I get you to read this with me? Are you prepared to do that? Just let's verbalize this. Let's get on the same page this morning. One, two, three, go. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Now I'm going to continue the chapter. This is really important. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. God's thoughts towards you, God's thoughts towards you are precious and number more than the sand. Now, if I could just take you to the beach, that's the one thing I miss about living in Aubrey Redonga. We're too far away from the beach. But if I could take you to the beach right now and say, see all the sand, try and count each grain. That is how many thoughts, precious thoughts, that God has towards you flowing over your life right now. Just millions and millions and millions of, of, of thoughts. That, how many feel better about this today? You're starting to think, oh, you know, I'm actually feeling a bit better about myself. God adores you. God is proud of you. God created you. And, 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 and he so loves what he created. But I want a passage, zero win on, on verse 13. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. I want to share with you today what I would consider the, the revelation of my life, especially over the last 10 years. My life message, the thing that has just turned me around. Because if you knew the depths of my past, you would know that th this is not... What you see is not what once was. You would know that Flip, this guy, he probably shouldn't have turned out like this. My closest friend and brother, through the abuse that we went through, committed suicide. When I was 25, he was 26. This is not what you see here today. I'm not saying I'm looking good, but I am saying I'm looking better than I could have been without Christ. And, and how, did, how did this transition take place? How did I find myself in a place with an incredible wife and wonderful kids and, you know, married 34 years, I think that's right. How did that transition take? And I want to, I want to talk about this passage. In your book, they were written, The Day's Fashion for Me. 
when as yet there were none of them. Can I just suggest you today, according to this passage, that there's a book in heaven and all of your days have been written down before you were even born. All God's plans for you were written before you were born in a book in heaven. Now, if that's true, what it means is that you and I, if we could get access to that book, we could have got up this morning, looked at our watch, 22nd, is that right, 21st? Anybody know the date? 26th, there you go. I've got a stopwatch on my phone right now. I've got 80 minutes and 43 seconds left. The 26th of June 2022. Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to get that book right now and read what God's thoughts were for us and what God's plans are for us for the day? It's literally God's planned your life. Now, I don't think that means that, that everything is pre-ordered, that we don't have any choice in our matters. I think it's more that God's got a divine intention. God's got this divine intention for how your life goes, and then we make these choices, and we get to choose on a daily basis whether we're going to partner and have faith with what's written in God's book for our world. This is about reading the book. Now, we don't have the book but I kind of wonder today, maybe we do. Now you might get to think, oh, he's going to be cute and say it's the Bible. Yeah, kind of. Kind of true. But, but it's not in that sense of the Bible is truth, but we can't, we can't turn to a date and say, what's God's plan for today? You know what I'm saying? So, so how do we get access to this book? Has anybody got a coin? I forgot to bring one really. Have you not got a 50 cent coin on you? I'm just looking for a 50-cent coin. I'll give it back. Or we could put it in the offering. Of course you don't have any money on you. You put it all in the offering. <laughs> Throw me a coin. First person. Oh, here we go. Here we go. There we go. You can keep your money. Thank you. I want to talk to you about how to read the book that, that has been written with your future in it, with all the thoughts of God, all the plans of God pre-written for today. And we're going to turn to a scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now, now I don't know if you've ever heard this mention in theology. They, they call it the law of first mention. Anybody heard about the law of first mention? Okay, go and do a study on it. We can't do it today. But basically what it means is that every time a new idea or principle is mentioned in scripture, inside that mention is a key that unlocks every future mention. In other words, this is the first mention of faith. There's something in there that will actually unlock every time you read about faith. Well, I want to read to you the very first words of the Bible. And I, I, I want to suggest to you that these verses, these, these words unlock everything else in human history. These are the first recorded words on the planet. And what do we read there? In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. Now, now for, for years I would read that passage and I'd think, okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens, like the planets, everything up there, you know, all the universe, and the earth. And then I was listening to a guy speak. He was a Jewish rabbi. And he said, do you know that when a Jewish rabbi interprets that passage of Scripture, he actually interprets it differently to how many Christians interpret it. He would say that it means that in the beginning, God created the heavens, the spiritual, 
the invisible, and the earth, the natural, the real, the touch, the things that we can see and feel on the planet. So I want to suggest to you that in that context, it literally means that, or it could also, I'm always very careful not to undo previous revelation. I always like to add. So it could also mean and be read that in the beginning, God created the heavenly dimension in which we call the invisible, the supernatural, the spiritual, the intangible. And he created the earthly dimension, the visible, the natural, the physical, the tangible. And I want to suggest to you today that, that as we live in this life, according to the very first words of the universe, we live a life that's living in the tension between heaven and earth. We live a life that lives in the tension between the spiritual and the natural. So when we look, look at this coin, on one side we have heads, so we call that the spiritual heaven, and we have tails, so we call that earth. Now if we want to get this coin to actually move across the floor, if we just make it all about spiritual, all about, you know, heavens and, you know, kind of weird stuff, but we never actually walk it out on earth, we're going to be trying to push this, this coin across the carpet. And if we just make it about the natural and we never realize that there's a God and there's a spiritual world and there's battles to be won, then we're just going to be almost of no earthly use. It's kind of like if it's all heaven or if it's all earth. But when we live in the tension between the two, we actually begin to live on the edge. Now, always, this is always a bit of a risk. And it goes like this. We get a bit of, there we go. We've got some, well, we get some movement. You know what I'm saying here? We get some movement. We can roll on the edge. And I want to suggest to you today that, that life and, and pretty much every achievement on the planet is achieved through Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the invisible and the visible. So in 1961, John F. Kennedy made this comment. We choose to... Anybody remember the comment? We choose to... Go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. Now, they hadn't been to the moon. They didn't have the technology to get to the moon. Uh, there was a bit of competition going on with the Russians at the time, but, but no one had been to the moon. But John F. Kennedy says, we choose. I can see it in the invisible. And then in 1969, he saw it in the natural. But it began by somebody saying, I need to see into the invisible, and then I need to put a plan together to create it in the natural. Uh, if I was to say to you, where did Apple computers start? You might say, in the garage of Steve Jobs. I would say, no. It started in his mind. It started when he said, I'm going I'm to create a computer that is Apple computers. Where did Microsoft begin? In the mind of Bill Gates. Where did Disneyland begin? In the mind of Walt Disney. He first saw the spiritual or the invisible, and then he saw the natural. And here's what we need to learn how to do. We need to learn how to live between the invisible and the natural. And here's the thing. Jesus, he's talking about how he did life. Saying, this is how I did life. 
John 5.19. He explained. Guys, you, you don't get it. This is how I do life. I tell you the truth. The Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He only does, natural, what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So what Jesus is saying is, you know what, I get up every day, and I don't just go out and live my life. I don't just go out and do my own thing. In fact, I don't do anything until I've seen what the Father's doing. And I wonder whether he's saying that there's this book in heaven where every day has been recorded before my, my life even began, and I go and read the book. What's your plan, Lord? Heaven first, and then earth. Think about Abraham. Abraham was, you know, he's married to Sarah, and you know the story, they couldn't have any kids. A barren. And God wanted them to have kids, and the prophetic word over their lives was, you're going to have kids. And, and, and it wasn't happening, so he, you know, finds his you know, concubine, and maybe has some kids, it was a Hagar, and maybe we go that way, and try to make it happen in his own efforts, and his own strength. And then God's thinking, man, Abraham, you don't, you don't get it. You're going to have kids. And I wonder whether Abraham's thinking, well, I just don't see it. So in Genesis 15, verse 5, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted unto him for righteousness. What did God do? He said, man, I've I got to help you see it. I'm going to have to take it. So I just go out. He, another incident. You know, the story he took him to the beach. He kept the grains of sand. I can't. That's how many children you will have. That's how many descendants you will have. Abraham had to learn how to, how to see it in the spiritual, heaven first, and then earth. See, and then do. Hear, and then do. We could talk of Moses. Moses went up to the mountain of God and God showed him the tabernacle. And he would see it. Man, he saw it in detail. He saw the colors. He saw the engravings. He saw the gold. He saw the silver. He saw, he saw it in the heavenlies before it ever existed. And then he would come down from the mountain and build according to the pattern that he saw in heaven. Heaven first and then earth. In Joshua chapter 6, Joshua was, was out walking one day and he, he's, he's outside Jericho. And Jericho was a walled city. It was totally locked. There was no way possible that, that, that Joshua could think of taking the city. Verse 6, now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. Just get that right. It's locked up. No one was coming in. No one was coming out. We all got that? And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. It's king. It's mighty men of valor. You'll march around the city. Goes on. Great victory. But, but here's the situation. It's saying that Joshua had a look at a city that was locked up. Nobody was coming out. No one was going in. And then God comes on and said, Can you see it? I've given it into your hand. If I was Joshua, I'd be saying, I don't see it. I just see a locked city. You see, here's the challenge, and there's so many. You know your Bible well enough to know that I could give dozens and dozens of examples of 
you know, Elijah's servant when he, when he couldn't see, you know, the mountains surrounded by the armies of God and, and the supernatural in heaven. The Bible is filled with us learning how to not look at the natural, but heaven first. Yeah. Heaven first. Heaven first. Then earth. James chapter 2, we mentioned it this morning in the offering. Do you not know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Heaven and then earth. You, you can't just have one without the other. We hear, we do. We see, and then we act. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance, natural, earth, the substance of things hoped for, supernatural, unseen. The evidence of things not seen. So faith, is simply living between heaven and earth, the unseen, the seen, the evidence, and the natural. I think we begin to understand this as a lifestyle. And, and I guess I'm asking today, what, what's, what's the priority of your life of seeing the invisible? of hearing God's voice, seeing what he's got planned for you. Here's a really interesting thing. God wired our brain to live between heaven and earth. Most of you have heard of this, and if you haven't, I'm sure you're easy enough to find that, that there's actually two hemispheres of our brain, right? There's a right hemisphere, and there's a left hemisphere. And the Bible says that the right hemisphere is all about the creative and the imagination and the emotions and the, the, the ideas and creativity. And then the left hemisphere of the, the brain is all about systems and process and, and orderly and, and the how. And, and literally, God's created us that we have two hemispheres of the brain so that we can hear and do. We can see and then plan. Now, now, really interesting experiment they did recently. They, they experimented on this, a group of people, and they wired up all their brains. And, and they, they did this project where they listened to a story and all this sort of stuff. And they were trying to find out whether you can be right brain or left brain dominant. Because they're probably saying, you know what, I'm, I'm really right brain. I'm an ideas person. I'm an entrepreneur. I don't like the management and the systems and the finances and the processes. And what they found is that when you think, both sides of the brain are interacting. Both sides are actually sparking. And I want to encourage you today to live between heaven and earth. I want to encourage you today to figure out what God is saying. Really interesting, Jesus' uh, disciples were watching him pray and said, man, you've got to teach us how to do this came to pass he was praying in a certain place Luke chapter 11 when he ceased one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray what they're really saying is we've seen the religious people we, they don't pray like you pray teach us to pray like that as John taught his disciples and Jesus said to them when you pray start with this our father in heaven hallowed be thy name 
get yourself positioned into the heavenly realm. Father, do you know, for me, my journey, I started to pray the Lord's Prayer. I reckon I went 10 years. I was just praying the Lord's Prayer. And, and for every day I would start off, I would just get before God, I'd have my Bible open. And I'd just go, Our Father, Father, wow. My Father, our Father. Do you know, there, there's actually no I or me in the Lord's Prayer. It's all ours. It's about a community. We're born into a community. And, and I, for years, really, I just allowed God to permeate in my spirit who he is. My loving father, my good father, my father who loves me, my father who created me, my father who tells me that I'm okay, that I'm all right. Our father in heaven, holy is your name. You know, you're perfect. You're not abusive like my dad was. You'd never tell me I'm useless or good for nothing. My father, my father, my father. And then once we establish my father in heaven, what does it say? Your kingdom come. Heads, tails. Your will in heaven be done on earth. It's the orientation of our whole life. So what have we discovered this morning? Number one, we've discovered that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We've discovered that his works in you and through you are marvelous. You're amazing. You're incredible. This isn't a prize. I'm not talking about walking past the mirror and admiring the view. I'm talking about just knowing who you are and how God made you. We know that God's thoughts to you are as many as the sand. Good and precious thoughts. And we know that his plans for every day of our lives have been recorded in a book before we're even born. So how do we access all of this? How do we find out who we are in Christ? How do we find out what God's plan is for us today? Heaven first, then earth. Unseen, seen. So when, when God spoke to us 10 years ago, and I'm going to wrap up now, 56 seconds. When God spoke to us 10 years ago, See, from now on, turn to the Gentiles. We resigned our church with no jobs, no idea what the future held. We just resigned. We didn't even have an invite to come over here. We just said, God, you've called us to resign. And we walked away. I was, I was on the executive of our movement in, in uh, New Zealand. I was the leader of all the churches over the South Island. We just resigned. And, and you know what? It's taken me 12 years to understand what it looks like. Just 12 years. Three things that I think I did, I, I did that I want to leave you with this morning. Read. Get your Bible out. Pray. And write. Read. Spend time in your Word. Pray and write. I began to journal every day, just journaling. God, what is it that you're saying to me? In fact, I've, I've I developed five questions I ask every day in my journaling. The first question, God, what do I need to hear from you today? What do I need to learn? What are you saying? And often it comes from my reading. Number two, God, what do I need to see? 
What do I need to see? What do I need to see? What's it look like? What does is, what is five years' time look like? Number three, what do I need to say? How do I need to change my language? I am a child of God. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. I am a man of God. I am a great dad. I am a great father. The future is good. What do I need to say? Number four, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And I'm going to be really honest with you. God gives me people to connect with. I, I connected with your pastor four years ago. He doesn't realize that God told me to, and it took us four years to actually get connected properly. But I just knew. I went through. There's about five people in the city. When, when God called us to Albury Wodonga, there's about five people God gave me their names. And so you just connect with them. Just connect. And then number four, five... So what do I need to, to hear? What do I need to see? What do I need to say? What do I need to do? Number five, what do I need to expect? What do I need to expect? And all of my life has been run through those five questions. In fact, I've actually even started a, a journal and, and uh, called Game Plan around those five questions every day. And I'm mentoring people. So we started a business and uh, called peopleanddevelopment.com. And uh, I now make disciples of unbelievers. Making disciples of unbelievers. Now, that's not how they see it. I, I work with companies and organizations doing leadership development, uh, do mentoring and coaching, mostly online, but a lot of it in person as well. And, and I find myself, you know, when I was a pastor for 25 years, the disciple-making process would begin when a person got saved. Now the disciple-making process begins when we meet. And I'm saying to people, what is it that you see for your life? Who do you think you are? How can I help you become all that you believe you're called to do? And I say to them, I'm going to get you to go through five questions every day. Now change a few of the wording. What do I need to learn? What do I need to see? What do I need to say? What do I need to do? And what do I need to expect? Helping people live between heaven and earth before they've even met the creator yet. But anyway, that's, that's kind of my story. I have put that up there because uh, part of peopleanddevelopment.com, we now have what we call the Life and Leadership Academy, which is a free area where every week we put up little videos and, and uh, teaching people how to do this and how to become all that they can be. So if you go to that website, you can just click that part of the website and you'll be in. If you don't like it, just bail out again. I can even delete you, actually. But um, you're free to be part of that if you'd like to. But I want to pray for you before we finish. And I want to I pray for you if you've been like me and you're carrying baggage. Do you know when this thing started? This was kind of crazy. My, my journey of changing my self-esteem started when I was 48. I went from the age of 18 when I met Jesus to the age of 48, battling between my father's words and my father's words. And it, it, it took me till I was 48. I'm, now, I'm turning 60 in a couple of months. So pretty good for a 60-year-old. Oh, you can say that, that's all right. But, um, but it's only been in the last 12 years that I've disciplined myself to live between heaven and earth. Discipline myself to believe what God is saying for my future, for, for, for my life, for my family, for my retirement. And I want to encourage you to begin to do it. Yeah.
if this is true, never forget this coin. I'm going to give it back. (laughs) Never forget the coin. Live between heads and tails. Don't do anything on earth that you haven't first seen in heaven. Father, I pray for every person here today. Lord, the cool thing about church that I think you're doing today, that you're building, is that you're drawing us away from a church-centered faith to being part of a faith-centered church. You're drawing us away from hearing through the church to hearing from you and then loving and serving in and through the church. And Lord, I pray for every person here. Lord, there's, there's people with the echo of you're nothing, you're no good. There are people that have been rejected in marriages and relationships and with parents. There's people that have had bullying as they've grown up. And, and all those scars kind of rest upon us and we are, we're living between, you know, the two voices and do we believe what they said or do we believe what God says? Lord, I pray that you would help us to live from a heavenly perspective. Lord, I pray that you would help every person in this room to hear and then do, to see and then act. And, and just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to be a little prophetic this morning. There's, there's some here today and you're heading towards retirement. You're a little bit like me and you're thinking, what do I see in my retirement? I haven't prepared. I don't know how I'm going to provide for myself. I'm, you know, I want you to just to turn that off and ask God what he sees for your retirement. What does he see? He sees you in your own home. He sees you being well looked after. He sees you financially secure. You might say, well, I'm 40. I haven't got many years left. I think you begin by seeing it. Begin by seeing it. What does God need you to see? If, if you were Abraham today and God came and took you by the hand and said, come with me, I need to show you something, what would he show you? Would he show you as a worship leader? Would he show you as a successful business person? Would he show you as a successful teacher? Or, or, or What would he show you? What would he want you to see that seems impossible today? Because if you can begin to see from heaven, I believe you will begin to experience on earth. Abraham needed a miracle to conceive. Joshua needed a miracle for the walls to fall. It wasn't natural. What does God want you to see? What does God want you to see? What does he want you to hear? What is he saying to you today? What does five years' time look like? What does one year look like into the future? I don't do anything that I don't see my father doing. I don't say anything that I haven't heard my father saying. Heaven first and then earth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Gateway Life Church. For more information, please visit gatewaylifechurch.org.au. God bless and have a great day.